Good morning. morning. Come on, are you excited to be in church today? Are you excited more than that to be the church today? Come on, I know that never gets old, right? I'm excited to be a part of God's family. Each and every week we get to come and gather and just magnify him. And you know what? He's doing exactly what his word says, that if we lift him up, he will draw all men and all women. I can tell as this room continues to get more and more full that God is is building his church and his family here, and it's exciting. Ten years. We're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of Vintage Church. Come on, we can cheer for that. I want to just thank all of the people that have been a part of Vintage uh, since the beginning and those that are still here. I know there's a lot of folks like Andrea who's been here for like seven years, long before uh, I got to come and be here. Uh, Kevin, one of our elders, he's been here for the full 10 years. Come on. That's incredible. And it shows the strength and, and what God has continued to do. Not every church lasts even a year. And to have a church last and flourish and then expand into other locations to continue to build God's family is incredible. And so make sure you grab a cupcake and, and a cookie because after all, that's how you celebrate things, right? You eat junk food and you have fun. And so uh, stop by, check out some of those photos. There's pictures from uh, the last 10 years from all the different uh, areas and, and times that the, uh, along the season of growth that the church has had. But it is exciting. It's a big deal to make it 10 years and to be going strong knowing that God has has much more to come. And so uh, we will uh, be celebrating, uh, uh, or we are celebrating also, our, we're into our third year here at Belton. And so that's no small feat either. But I, I love the reminder that we're not just the Belton location. We're a part of something greater. We are truly a family of churches. And so let's celebrate that. Don't forget to get your uh, birthday cake smelling air freshener. Uh, that may be your thing. It may not. If it's not, then take one, smile, so we feel good about it, and then you can give it to someone else. Uh, But we're going to wrap up this great series that we've started the year off with, Year of the Bible. But I do have a couple more things, uh, housekeeping things, if you will. I want to let you know uh, about Membership U, which is happening next week. I think we already have something like 20 uh, folks register for that. That's super exciting. That's people saying, you know what? I'm thinking about being here for the long haul. I'm I'm thinking about making this my actual local church and my home church. And so uh, if you're not... Uh, already registered for that and you want to come, there's still time. Register. There's free lunch. There's child care. Uh, it's going to be a great opportunity if you've just been here for a while and you're like, you know what? Let me come and find out more about this place and what they believe and where they're going. And, and most importantly, I like to say how you can be a part of all of it. So that's next Sunday at one o'clock right here. Um, and then I want to give you a quick update. We're still at about a hundred and what is it, 87, 88,000. Uh, so we just need like 212, I think is our number. Is that, yes, I'm right. Uh, before we can break down and uh, break down, break ground, we're not going to break down, we're going to break ground and uh, start our expansion project here. I'm super excited about that. How many of you are looking forward to seeing the transformation of this location? Come on, it's going to be great. We're going to have more area for people to mingle and more, more relationship, fellowship, classes, a lot more ministry um, aside from just what we do here on the weekends. And so I'm super excited about that. And thank you again for all of you that have already given to that, have made a pledge. For those of you that have not, again, I'm not going to beat you over the, over the head about it every week, but I want to encourage you, give uh, in some way, be a part of that in some way. If this is your home church and you're coming here and you're benefiting from, from the family of God in this place, and what we're doing, then, then come on, sow into it so that others can come and experience the same. And then lastly, uh, I want to uh, take about two minutes. Uh, how many of you know in, in our culture, oftentimes, it, it's sad because we don't truly honor people until they're dead. 
or until they're gone, right? And too many times we don't take moments to, to give honor where honor is due. And this morning, um, I want to take a moment just to honor uh, Tiffany and Ben Hamlin. Tiffany is our, has been our worship director for the past year, year and a half, uh, roughly. And, and they were at Harker Heights at that location, uh, serving there faithfully before they came over here. But they came to help us this past year really build and get established with, with helping me be here um, and get grounded. And so uh, today is actually their last day of her being on staff and being a part of our Belton location. Um, but I want you to take a moment and, and just let her know before she leaves today how much you've appreciated and been blessed by her being here and, and the sacrifice that, that her and her husband have made. They put a lot of time. You have no idea how many uh, behind-the-scenes moments that they have, have packed up their entire family of five and driven over here from uh, Colleen and, and come to, to just help do whatever we need to do to make uh, this church grow and, and, and go. And so uh, I just want to honor her. They have been a gift and a blessing to us. And so uh, she will be here. You'll still see her bounce back and forth. Uh, she'll come help lead worship sometimes. She's going to be uh, part of our worship night. But you won't see her every single week anymore. And so I just want to make sure that we have a moment uh, to just honor them. She, she's trying to hide. There she is. So make sure, yeah, can we hear it? Give it up. And her husband's been helping us with sound since he's been here. And uh, so I just want to honor them publicly. They've just meant so much to, our, to this location, and so I'm grateful. Uh, but yeah, make sure you don't let them leave without letting them know. All right, who's got your Bible? Come on, lift it up. Real Christians have what? It's real. I, I, don't, I don't hear the enthusiasm I'm looking for. I, I, did you buy really heavy Bibles, and so it's like a task for you? I don't know. But no, we're, we're in the last week of Year of the Bible, Come on, you don't uh, have a better way to start the new year than to, to be reestablished, if you will, or be refocused is probably the better word, uh, into God's word, laying that foundation, knowing how to live and build on that foundation. Today, we're going to talk about how the Bible protects us. If you were here uh, or, or last year during our Stronger series, we talked a little bit about how as Christians, we kind of have one foot in the natural and one foot in the supernatural. Right, we're, we we have physical bodies, but we're also uh, have a spirit, right? And our spirit's going to live uh, eternally, right? Our, our body will not; it's breaking down and decaying as we speak. Uh, hopefully, we can slow that process down and do things. We're going to learn about that in the next series about how we can best take care of these bodies that God's given us. Uh, but at, at some point, we will leave these earthly earthen vessels, and we will spend eternity with God uh, and have a new. Uh, spiritual body. And so I want to talk about this for a moment. 2 Corinthians 10, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. 10, 3 through 5. And it says this, those who are dominated, I'm sorry, that's Romans. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. We'll get to Romans in a minute. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, why am I going back and, and touching on this? Because when we are walking, both in the natural and in the supernatural, the, the, the place that most of what happens is decided is in our minds. Every day we wake up and, and there is a battlefield in our mind. As a matter of fact, there's a very real daily fight in our mind, right? What choices are you going to make today? Are you going to choose the way of righteousness, the things of God, or are you going to choose the way of sin? 
and the things that are opposed to God. Every day and everything, we have to make that choice. Uh, some people would say it like this. We have to, are we going to let our spirit right, rule and reign, the spirit of God in us, or are we going to let our flesh, our own sinful desires and, and passions, are we going to let those rule? Every day, we have to deal with this. That's why Paul said he had to buffet his body, right? He wasn't just talking about being a gym rat, right? He wasn't going down to the local Planet Fitness and just, you know, he, that's not what he was talking about. He's talking about crucifying his flesh, right? Saying no to those, those sinful desires that wanted him to be all about himself and pursue his own interests and his own things and not the things of God. And so I want you to think for a moment about all the craziness that can and will swirl in our minds on any given day. Maybe you've had this thought, is my marriage going to make it? Am I going to get fired? Come on, anybody ever been there? Am I, are, are my kids going to turn out okay? Some of y'all got some kids and you're like, these, these little rascals are crazy. I don't even know. I'm praying for them, but I really, I don't know. That one's 50-50. I don't know. They might make it. They might not. Uh, how am I going to pay these bills? Come on, anybody ever been there? Uh, am I going to fail just like my mom and dad always said I would? Uh, or maybe do I really have what it takes? You know, the question of am I enough? Uh, these are the kinds of thoughts that, that we deal with. Romans 8, I'm going to turn there now. This is, this is what we need to know and be reminded of when we're dealing with this. It says this, those who are dominated, say dominated, by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit Think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to what? Death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. How many of you would rather have life and peace than death? For the sinful nature is always, say always. It's always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. This is why you don't have to teach your kids how to say no to you. Because their sinful nature is always ready to say no to anything that they don't want to do, that they, you know, that you're asking them to do. They don't, it's, the rebellion is part of the sin nature, and it is always hostile to God. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. This is important. We've got to recognize that there is a battle happening in our minds, in our hearts, and we have got to win this battle. It is our responsibility. It's not up to God to just come and do all the thinking for us, right? He tells us what to think upon. Go look at Philippians 4.8. He lists a whole slew of things that are good things, the things that we ought to set our minds on. We see clearly from this passage there are two armies in the battlefield. Number one, our sinful nature represents everything wrong, everything evil, everything broken and wicked. We start out with just the flesh governing our minds. And see, what happens when we get saved is that our spirit is born again, but guess what? We still have to go through the process, right? In that moment, we experience what's called justification. We're now just and right before God and right standing with God when we accept Jesus Christ. However, there's a longer process that happens throughout the remainder of our lives called sanctification. And that is us choosing with our minds to surrender and submit to God's ways and God's will and, and, and crucifying our own flesh and our own will. It's really a matter of whose will is winning today, God's or yours, each and every day, our sinful nature. And then there's also the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. This is his goodness, his character, his power, his plan. As it relates to our thoughts, they're either rooted in the flesh or the spirit, right? Right? And why is it important? Because the spirit is truth and the flesh is a liar. 
this is important because you've got to understand the enemy's primary weapon is deception. We see it right from, from jump in Genesis when Satan comes and, and talks to Eve. What is he doing? He, he, the first thing he comes with is, let me deceive you. I think, and, and what does he try and do? It, it, it's crazy to think about that he would actually approach her and, 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 and not only approach her with his plan, but to accuse or, or to get her to try and think that God's actually been lying to her and lying to Adam. How crazy is that? To think that, oh, this, the one who created you, the one who's built this entire paradise that you're living in, right? And you got to remember, before sin, they didn't even have to work. Imagine that. Imagine you didn't even have to plant the seeds for the stuff to grow. You didn't have to water it. You didn't have to find some ox and, and do all the stuff. Imagine it's just there, and it's just the fruits growing and all the vegetables and everything you need. It's just happening for you. And yet, in the midst of all that, what's the devil do? He, cam- he comes to try and deceive and he's still trying the same thing. Spiritually speaking, here's what a lie is. A lie is anything contrary to what God has said is true. And deception is believing a lie as if it were true. Listen to what Jesus said about Satan in John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We talked about this, uh, and you've heard me say it from time to time, that truth uh, is not uh, discovered or can only be discovered or revealed. It is not invented or reinvented. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth and, and, and whatever truth we want to make up, right? We don't create truth. Truth has already been created and established, and truth has a name. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, Right? And so all truth is God's truth. Even when other entities or other people uh, come to a conclusion about a truth, uh, make no mistake, that truth was first and foremost God's, and it is his. So when other religions are, you know, I, my dad uh, grew up in uh, the northern part of India in, in a place called Punjab, Amritsar is the city, and, and that is the place of the Sikh religion, and the Sikhs uh, in, in all of their beliefs, one thing that they're really great at is understanding serving. They have a, the, this place called the Golden Temple, and uh, you can look it up. It's, it's elaborate, and, and, and people come, thousands, tens of thousands of people travel through there uh, on a daily basis, and they feed people uh, three times a day. And it's completely 100% orchestrated and done by volunteers, by people of that religion coming and serving and giving of their time. And it's, it's unbelievable to see the magnitude and the scale. You imagine, some of you are like, yeah, it's a hassle for me to try and feed my family of four or five, let alone, you know, 40, 50,000 people three times a day. Imagine what that looks like. And it happens each and every day because they understand serving. But can I tell you that Sikhism did not create the, the, the idea of serving. That was God's idea, right? God's the one. Did he not say that even Jesus himself came not to be served but to serve? Serving was always God's idea. And so don't, don't get confused and think, well, this religion gets it right. Listen, any truth that any other religion is trying to espouse is God's truth. The problem is they don't want to recognize the one who created it. They want to give that credit to somebody else, and that's where they go wrong. Right? That's, we can get to do another message about that another time. But why are lies so dangerous? 
Obviously, at face value, we all know, you know, no, none of us want to be surrounded by liars or appreciate when we get lied to. But why are they so dangerous? Number one, they're believable, right? A lie believed to be true will affect you as if it was. This is what deception is. Come on, there's always, almost always, a hint of truth in every lie that, that you hear from people, right? And that's what makes it so difficult. It's because people are like, even, even Eve, when Adam, or when the, when the enemy, I'm going to go read it, actually. I'm going to show you. This wasn't in my notes, but you can bear with me for five seconds. This is fascinating. So here we go. Chapter 3, verse 4 in Genesis. This is Satan tempting Eve. He says in in verse 4, You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Right? That's what he came and told her. And then you read later in verse 22, this is God now speaking. It says, Then the, the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. Satan actually told her something that was true. The problem was they were still being disobedient. So it wasn't that the subject matter even had to be false. It's the fact that his motive was to get them to rebel against God. Think about that for a minute. What does that mean for us today? That means somebody might tell you something that is true, but it still doesn't mean it's right. Does that make sense? And I'm telling you, that's the easiest way for people to get deceived. Oh, it sounded good. It sounded good. Come on, every person who's been a part of a cult said that at one point. It sounded great. We were going to live in this fabulous paradise, and we were all going to just meet each other's needs and never have any issues until there were issues, and then there was control, and then there was weird things asked of people, right? We have lemonade. We don't have any weird juice for you today. Just... <laughs> but you got to be sharp. you got to know, and this is why we're going to talk about later how the, the Bible is the only thing that can protect us ultimately from lies is knowing God's truth. Number two, they fill in the blanks. This is the next thing that makes lies so dangerous. Let me play out a scenario for you. Something that's gone on uh, perhaps in your head a thousand times, and I'm sure uh, you can relate to this. So we're going through life, minding our own business, and then something happens that confuses us. And so we start to ask questions. Well, I wonder why Shelly did blank. Or I wonder why my, what my supervisor was thinking when he said blank. Or I wonder what my spouse, uh, why my spouse didn't blank. Right? Every time you leave a blank... What do you think the enemy wants to fill that blank with? A lie, right? And so he, the reason Shelly did that is because she thinks I'm beneath her, right? Or my supervisor said that because he's looking to replace me. Or my spouse didn't do blank because they don't love or respect me. And notice how it's interesting. Every time the devil fills in the blank, and I'll be honest, most of the times when we fill in the blank, it's negative, our first thought, you know, if someone's not getting back to us right away, what's our first thought? Oh, they just don't want to talk to me, or they just don't like me, or they just, right? It's never, oh, I'm sure they're so busy that they're just, you know, they're probably playing with their kids, having some of the best family time they've had all week, and that's why they can't get right back to me. No, we always assume the worst. We always assume, assume the negative outcome, you know? My boss said that to me. It's always, oh, man, am I in trouble? Is he going to fire me? Is she going to fire me? Instead of, Oh, I bet they're plotting my next promotion. <laughs> right? It's just where our minds go. It's where the devil wants to take our minds. 
But we've got to change that. Because it could be worse. God hasn't opened the door because he forgot about me. Come on, if you had these thoughts in relation to God. God hasn't healed me because he doesn't love me. God hasn't delivered me because he doesn't care about me. If you leave those blanks open and you don't know God's truth about how to, what should be in those blanks and those questions in your mind, guess what? The devil is happy to fill them with all kinds of garbage. Or if I could use a European word, rubbish. Rubbish isn't like a swear word, is it? I, I always I got to be careful. Okay, ask my friend from <laughs> across the pond. Third, they play with our emotions. This is the other thing why lies are so dangerous. And like I just said, we almost always go to the negative assumption, the negative conclusion. Notice the lies never, God is moving. I just can't see it yet, right? It's always, why have you forsaken me? It's been like five minutes since God, since God talked to you last. But you're like, where are you? I'm just the only one serving you. It's like, no, I got 50,000 others down the block. Cheer up a little bit. But so many of us are moved by our emotions. And so be careful because a lot of time lies will pull on, on those emotions. And, and sadly, I think it was Simon Sinek in one of his books uh, was talking about how most people actually make their decisions off of the part of their brain that is emotional. Right? So even your rational, logical people, right, they may do a lot of analysis, they may do a lot of, put a lot of thought into it, but ultimately they still make the decision out of the, the whatever side of that brain is that's more emotional, which is fascinating, which is why people do really crazy stuff in, the, in moments where they get really emotionally charged, which is also why you should pause and not do crazy things anytime you're emotionally charged. I had a great pastor tell me all the time, he said, never make a big decision in the heat of a big emotional moment, right? If you're steaming mad at your spouse, shut your mouth. Such my walk away. Like, don't say it. Don't do it. Don't let your emotions get the best of you, right? But that's how the enemy works. He wants to pull on those. He wants to draw on that. So let's talk a little bit more about this, how to train our mind to filter these thoughts. Remember the sword of the spirit, Ephesians 6, 17. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And in Hebrews 4.12, we talked about a couple weeks ago about how the, the, the word of God is a, a double-edged sword. Look at this. It's defensive in that you need to know what it says, that helmet, right, that can guard your mind and, and, and can recognize a lie instantly. And it's offensive in that you need to speak it to combat the lies. It's okay. I'm going to give you permission right here, right now to talk to yourself. Now, don't do it really loud when you're in a subway or when you're, you know, out in public, and, and, and looking around and stuff, and people will think you're a little weird. But I'm telling you, there are moments when you need to talk to yourself, and you need to encourage yourself. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's not enough to just know the word. Sometimes you have to speak it out, in, out loud so you can hear it. You get in, into a, in, in your, you, you know, your life's uh, got all kinds of craziness happen. Listen, get in your car and just start speaking to those things. You start feeling overwhelmed, you start feeling anxious, you start feeling fearful. What do you do? You start saying, you know what? I take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I will not bow to fear. Fear, you've got to get out of here in Jesus' name. You've got to speak to these things. Even the world knows this. How many motivational people are out there telling you to, you know, self-affirmations and all these different things? The world knows the power of speaking. Again, who invented it? 
Jesus. And there's nothing more powerful than speaking his word over yourself, over your family, over your situation, over your life. Come on, you want the atmosphere to change at your job? Go in early and just start speaking and declaring God's word throughout the, the cubicles or the hallways or whatever it is. I'm telling you, it will change the atmosphere. The Bible protects us from three things. I'm going to kind of go a little bit quick through these. I don't want to keep you here forever. We got some cupcakes to eat. But God's word, the Bible protects us from, number one, lies about God. The enemy wants us to believe lies about God, but his word alone reveals the truth about who he is and his character. Jesus being the embodiment of God's revealing of himself. Look at John 14, 8, 9. says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? What's great about that is we have so much on record of who Jesus was and how he lived on this earth. And the Bible's telling us flat out, God is telling us, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So what do we see in Jesus? Compassion, love, kindness, righteousness, right? All these things. Deuteronomy 32.4, grabbing from the Old Testament as well so you understand that God has made himself and revealed himself since the beginning of the book to the end. He is the rock. Look at this. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? Do you believe that? Do you believe that everything that God does is perfect? I was, uh, Charlie and I went out to Oak Ridge on Friday night and uh, was hanging with those guys and we were going through a Bible study and, and the gentleman, one of the gentlemen brought up something. He said, he said, man, I, I read through the Old Testament. He goes, I just think God, you know, God is, at times he can be mean. And and it, it, for a moment, we could have just passed on by and just let that sit. But as soon as he said it, I was like, no, 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 God's not mean. God's never been mean. God is just, and he's perfect, and he's right. And, and where uh, this gentleman was referring to is, is when God's consequences or his punishment had come to people who had violated or disobeyed or been rebellious or been wicked, and, and they had to pay the price for it. Do you know, no parent on earth is mean when they discipline their child after telling their child, if you do this and this and this, these are the consequences. It doesn't make you mean to follow through and give those consequences, does it? That's right and just, and that's how God is. So I was like, I'm not going to let that sit out there. He's, God is not mean. mean. Mean would imply that you have a, an ill motive towards someone, that you just want to harm someone, that you just want to do wrong by someone. That's not God at all. Matter of fact, God says he disciplines those he loves. That's how you know you're an actual son or daughter, right? The parents who just let their kids do whatever and never discipline them, they don't really love them. Or they don't love them enough that, that, like they should because you want to teach your kid how to be successful, teach your kid how to be honoring, teach your kid how to be functional as an adult. Because if they don't, and they just think they can grow up doing whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, then they're going to find out from other people who don't love them that you can't get away with that. I've told my daughter before, I said, better me train you and fight with you now than you have to go deal with a police officer later on in your life. Because you broke the law, and guess what? They don't, they don't, they're not going to love you like I do. So 
So learn now. And it's the same way with us, with God. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. When people say, well, God's just mean, and he's just, no, he's not. How do you know? Because he's revealed himself in Jesus and in his word. He is full of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry. Listen, if you got God mad, you had to do some work. You put some work in to get God mad. Come on, he's got a long fuse. But when that moment comes where now he says enough is enough, it will get dealt with. And you will deserve whatever he gives you. Don't play around with God. Hebrews 6.18, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Satan is the father of lies. God is truth and in him. He cannot lie. Just like Satan, when he lies, is fulfilling his character and who he is, God is in not being able to lie is fulfilling his character and who he is. I'm just telling you right now, God's never lied to any one of you. He's never lied to me. He's never lied to you. And he never will. He's incapable of it. Two, lies about ourselves and others. This is the other thing the Bible protects us about. If we know the truth about what God says about who we are and about others and how we should treat them, then we won't be able to be deceived when the, the enemy tries to lie about it. The enemy wants us to believe lies about ourselves and others, but God's word shows us what's true. In, in the context of our true identity in Christ, come on, a lot of people wrestle with this. As sons and daughters and children, look at 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. In John 1, 12 through 13, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. In 2 Corinthians 6, 18, and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. If you're born again, you are a son and daughter. That should end your identity crisis. Now, you may spend more time and more years understanding what that means to be in that position, to be a son or daughter, but can I tell you, your identity, you shouldn't spend all of your life in an identity crisis wondering, I don't know who I am or why I'm here. Well, who you are, if you're in Christ, is a son of God or a daughter of God. And why you're here is to bring glory to him and to experience relationship with him. That's, that's the pinnacle. And then you've got a job to do, which is to go and make disciples so that others can come into the family of God. Not just so they can come to church with you so they can understand that they also were made to be sons and daughters. And God gives them that opportunity. Look at these three scriptures about our value and worth. Psalm 139, 13 through 14. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Proverbs 22.2, the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. Every single person walking on this earth has value, infinite value to God. Even before they come into relationship with him, they have value. Why? Because God has made them. And God doesn't make junk. 
Do you know even the people that are far from God, he still knit together and formed them and fashioned them. There's not an accident walking on this planet. Some of y'all are like, well, my parents said I was an accident. They weren't trying to have another kid. <laughs> Listen, I can't help you with that, but I can tell you this. God still knew you had a purpose and you needed to be here. And so he used their accident to get you here. But you're not an accident to God. Come on, this is, this is huge. So many people truly deep down still lay their head, even as adults. They lay their head on the pillow at night wondering, man, am I, am I really worth anything? All this stuff that I'm doing, they still wrestle with their own value. You were fearfully, God made you and then threw the mold away so that there could never be another like you. You're so unique. You were made with such intentionality. That's why I can't stand this whole gender crisis thing about, you know, let's let your kid figure it out for themselves when they're three. They'll tell you. No. We know better. They don't know better. Any more than you'd let them run the house at three years old. Some of y'all might be letting them, and that's why it's chaotic. You need to fix that. So many people struggling with identity, and it's crazy. God's word tells us who we are, and more importantly, whose we are. Lastly, lies about culture. The enemy tries to define culture and dictate what society should look like with lies, but God's word gives us clear definition of truth and how we are to live, not only as a spiritual family, but as a society at large. Look at Proverbs 14, 34. It says, godliness makes a nation great. But sin is a disgrace to any people. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you realize that? That our nation will be blessed or cursed based on if we follow God or not. It's already been pre-decided. God has made it known from the beginning. You follow me, you follow my ways, and guess what? I will bless your nation. But you walk away from me, you turn your back on me, you shake your fist at me, you start uh, uh, raising up and celebrating those things that I uh, am uh, against, and guess what? The bottom's going to fall out. We're getting ready to vote here at the end of the year, and I'm telling you, I will tell you, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you which person to vote for, but I will tell you as a Christian, you need to vote for righteousness. You need to use your Bible as your filter and ask the Holy Spirit when it comes to specific people. But we're praying for righteous leaders, righteous men and women in every area of government. Why? Because if we follow God, our nation will be blessed. We turn our back on God. He has no obligation to protect us. He has no obligation to act on our behalf. God acts on the behalf of his people. My last verse for you, Galatians 3, 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And I'll leave you with this thought. Your salvation is in God's hands, but your destiny is tied to your relationships. I had a great pastor uh, explain it this way. He said, you're here on this side of a cliff, and there's a giant impassable valley and then there's the other side and he said the way that God gets you from here to your to your destiny and to what his plan and purpose is for you is bridging that gap with people he brings people into your life 
Like I said, there's no, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian unless you absolutely ended up on an island completely by yourself. And then I, I would say that you get a pass. But the reality is God designed us to be connected to one another. And the way that we get from where we start to where we need to go is, is by the relationships that God puts in our lives, the people that we're called to be connected with and walk with and journey with. Even the disciples got sent out two by two. Come on, even the Latter-day Saints know that. Or the Jehovah's Witnesses, or maybe it's all of them. They go out in twos. Why? Because they know the power of being together and being in unity and walking together. Even they know that. And Christians are like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to be it. I'm a Christian, you know, I'm a self-made independent Christian. No, you're not. You're a Gentile American. And then you get saved and you become a son or daughter. Bring it back full circle. But the reality is we need one another. And the only way that we can walk in true agreement and unity is when we walk in truth together. This is why, you know, if someone wants to go and live according to a lie, guess what? The relationship's going to suffer. And it may even suffer to the point where if that person chooses to live in what's false and live in, in deception and live in lies, that you're not even going to be able to walk together. You can't. Light cannot walk with darkness. Righteousness cannot walk with unrighteousness. That's why we've got to get our minds in the same place, which is God's word. I'm not talking about opinion, right? You don't have to all like the Rams. Right? You can love your Cowboys. You can love your Texans. You can love whatever. You can hate sports. But we can still walk together because we're in Christ, which trumps everything. Everything. I want to pray for you this morning. Did you get anything out of this? Okay. You could email me later and tell me if you didn't. It's okay. It's Keegan at Vintage.Church. I'll read it. I promise. If you have questions. Anyway, that's for another time. But I want to pray for you this morning. You know, maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? I've not surrendered my life to God. And I have just been going off my own thinking. And I'm not yielded and submitted to God's word. It hasn't been the base and the foundation that I'm living my life off of. And maybe today you want to get serious about your walk with Christ. You want to be a part of God's family. You want to step into uh, the kingdom and the family of God and become a son or daughter, not just a creation of God. And so I want to give you that opportunity. If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ who first came and gave his life for you to pay that price for your sin. He died on that cross. His body was broken. He was, he was bruised, the Bible says, and, and stabbed pierced in his side his blood was shed for us and today you can you can become a part of God's family in just one moment putting your faith in him Romans 10 9 and 10 says if you confess your, with your mouth Jesus is Lord believe in your heart God raised him from the dead you will be saved you can walk out of here justified in right standing with God and for those of you that have have prayed that prayer before but honestly you're not all in for God and today you're like you know what it's time for me to stop playing around it's time for me to get serious about living my life fully devoted to God and surrendered to him, you can pray this prayer and recommit your life to him. And so if that's you in either one of those places and you're bold enough to admit it and say a prayer with us this morning, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my father. And so I want to ask if you're bold enough to come into faith in Jesus Christ and you want to lift your hand, you can do it right now. One, two, three. Anybody in this room? Thank you for those hands. Come on. Come on, church. We can celebrate that. Come on. 
It's the best decision any of us ever make. Come on, that's, that is why we come to church, to see people step out of darkness into light. Come on, all of us have been there. And it's only the power of God that, that makes that happen. Let's pray this, if you will, just bow your head. And if you raise your hand, I want you to pray this directly from your heart to his. And church, just let's say this together to encourage them, and let's pray with them. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place on that cross to pay the price for my sin so that I could know you, so that I could be reunited with you and my spirit could be born again. I thank you for what you've done and I receive your gift of salvation and I ask you of my own free will to come into my life and be my savior, my king, and my Lord. I surrender to you from this day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on. God bless y'all.